0: We're, we're turning to uh, uh, Ephesians again uh, this, this, this morning, and it's the last in our little three-part uh, series that we've been looking at just as we go into the, the new church year uh, together here at Orangefield. So we're turning uh, to Ephesians. It's chapter 4, uh, and we're reading from verses 7 to 13, and uh, it's, it's on page 1175 of the, the Bible in the seat in front of you. If you would like to, to follow along, uh, you might find it helpful to have your Bible open or your phone at the Bible appropriate place turned on or whatever way you would like to follow. So we're reading uh, from Ephesians 4. and This is uh, God's word. This is God's word to his church uh, at all times. <clears throat> and it says, reading from uh, chapter 4 verse 7, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he, it was he who gave gifts some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Amen. Amen. Unity in diversity is, is the title of our of our theme this morning. And we've seen over the past few weeks as we've looked at the, at the book of Ephesians, we've seen that in the first three chapters Paul writes this, this, the emphasis is on the blessing that we've received in Christ. And then in the earlier parts of chapter 4, Paul sets out the calling of the church to, to give glory to God, the attitudes that we need to have in order to live that life worthy of our calling. And, and then the unity vital for church growth uh, that Ken preached about last week. <clears throat> and so Paul now goes on to explain the value of the diverse ministries amongst the members of the church. And notice the contrast if you're uh, following along between verses 6 and 7. For verse 6, uh, Paul had written, There is one body and one spirit, just as we were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Who is over all and through all and in all. But verse 7 begins, but to each one of us, to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. He gave gifts to men. And so Paul turns from all of us collectively to each one of us individually. And so Paul turns to the unity in diversity that is the church. And so to help us here, we might use an illustration. We might use a, an illustration of a team. Uh, we might use a football team, for instance, to illustrate what Paul is talking about here. It's not Brazil. It's so, Northern Ireland. So there they are at the Euros, where by all accounts they and their fans did Are We country proud. But we can use a football team or any team. Think of a team, any team you're familiar with or a sport you play or a game you play and we can think that this will help us to understand what Paul's writing about here. So a football team, for instance, well, it needs a goalkeeper, it needs defenders, it needs midfielders, it needs forwards. A football team would be no good if it was made up of 11 goalkeepers or 11 forwards No, it it needs an agile goalkeeper to to, to keep the nets. It needs some sturdy central defenders to uh, stop the opposing attackers. It needs some midfielders to spread the ball around a bit. It needs a quick winger to race up there, and then it needs a good big centre forward to head the ball into the net when the winger does his job. You see, when it's all working properly, and the players play their individual roles and exercise their individual abilities, then the team wins together. They all benefit together, and so it is with the church. That's what Paul is saying here. And just as the the team needs a variety of different players with a variety of of different gifts, each playing different roles, in order to win the game, so does the church. In order for God's kingdom to advance in the world, excuse me. And and just as the different team players are necessary in the team, and they're all necessary, they're all equal, and they're all vital. So it is with the church. There are no first or second rate Christians. There aren't. No, we are all equal, necessary and vital parts of the church. Members of the team. And so this is what Paul is saying in the verse that we've just read. He's commenting on that, that what he's written about the church's unity. And although he writes in verses 4 to 7 that there's one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one family... Well, this unity, this unity is far from boring and colorless uniformity. No, quite on the contrary. Far from being boring and monotonous, the unity of the church is exciting. It's exciting in its diversity because of the different gifts that God has given us through Christ and the different roles that he's called us to. And Paul uses the word grace here in verse 7 and gifts in verse 8. For in this context, the two are closely linked. In the original Greek, the words are charis and charismata. Meaning grace and gifts of grace, respectively. And you see, the unity of the church is preserved by God's charis, by his saving grace. Having reconciled us to himself and to one another by the giving of his son. He he holds us together by his saving grace, his charis. But the diversity of the church is due to his charismata. His gifts of grace given by the Spirit and distributed to each one of us individually. And we might wonder, well, what is a gift of the Spirit? Well, really, it's simply any God-given ability, skill or talent. It's a God-given ability, skill or talent. That's a gift of the Spirit from God. And you see, God is a generous giver. God is a generous giver, for first He gives His Son to redeem us. There is our Redeemer. Then he gives the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit to equip us so that his work on earth is done. God is a generous giver. And there are many different spiritual gifts listed in the New Testament and, and they're to be found in other passages of Scripture as well. And we'll look at those briefly in a moment in order to get the bigger picture. But what does this passage from Ephesians that we've just read, what does that tell us about the spiritual gifts? Well, I reckon it tells us four things. And we'll just ask those four questions as we go along. It tells us something about the receivers of the gifts, the giver of the gifts, the nature of the gifts, and the purpose of the gifts. So firstly, who receives the gifts? Well, Paul writes here in verse 7, he says, but to each one of us, to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. Who receives the gifts? Paul is very clear here, isn't he? Each one of us. Each one of us. You see, it's very simple. And yet it's very, very important. Because maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, or you've been told by somebody, you're thinking that you're not really any good at anything. But that's not what God says. Maybe you think that you don't have any gifts or abilities or talents, but that's not what God says. And it's what God says that counts, right? Yeah. And you see, God has said that each one of us, each one of us has gifts, abilities, and talents. And you see, I was thinking about this, and I just thought to myself, you know, I think that that if our Nick could just get us to think that we've no gifts and would be no good at anything, I think he'd be very happy with that. But we're not here to make him happy. We're not. We're we're here to be reminded from God's Word that God has given each and every one of us ability. You have God-given talents. You have God-given skills. Each and every one of us has. That's what it says here in God's Word. Each one of us has been given at least one, possibly many different gifts and talents. Each one of us has been given a a particular role in the church to play. Each one of us. So secondly, secondly, who then is the giver of the gifts? Well, Paul teaches that the all-conquering King Jesus is the giver of the gifts. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and he gave gifts to men. Paul taught that the crucified, risen, and ascended Jesus Christ is the giver of the gifts. You see, the picture that Paul uses here is is one of a victorious military conqueror returning home from battle, leading his captives, and sharing the spoils with his followers. Only in this case, in this case, the captives are not his enemies. No, they're not his enemies, but they are his very own redeemed people who he he has set free from slavery and who are now captivated by his love. When he came to earth, when he descended to the lower earthly regions, Christ experienced the very depths of humiliation He descended to earth, descended to the cross, but he was raised to life and ascended higher than all the heavens and now fills the universe with his presence. That's who gives the gifts to each one of us. By his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the sending of his Holy Spirit, Jesus has defeated sin and death. He has captivated us by his love, and he has given each of us gifts of grace by his Holy Spirit, who lives in every believer. Thirdly, we might then ask, what are the nature of the gifts? And the Apostle Paul would tell us that the gifts are many and varied. <clears throat> Firstly, Paul mentions in this passage here the role of apostles. Verse 11, he gives some to be apostles. While an apostle was, in New Testament times, was one sent with a commission. Apostle always has been one sent with a commission. And you see, Jesus had many disciples, but he he chose just 12 apostles. These were men who walked with him, who received his teaching, who met with the resurrected Christ and who were then sent by him with a commission to go teach the truth about him in the immediate aftermath of his ascension into heaven. These were the men whom Jesus chose to lay the foundations of the church, he himself being the cornerstone who holds it all together. And whilst they may or may not have actually written the Apostles' Creed that we looked at last week, nevertheless, the Creed certainly sets forth the central doctrines And the foundational teaching of the church in every age. And whilst today no one can claim to be an apostle in the first century understanding of the word. Nevertheless we we might consider missionaries and church planters uh, to be today's ones sent with a commission. As they are sent off by the church for their specific ministries. And in another sense well all Christians have an apostolic ministry. An apostolic ministry for Jesus says to each of us, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Secondly, Paul says that the Lord Jesus gives some to be prophets. Now again, we may think in common parlance, we may associate a prophet with one who predicts the future, who foretells the future, but this was not their primary role. The the primary function of a biblical prophet was not so much foretelling the future as foretelling God's Word. The early church prophet was to stand in the gap between the time of Jesus and the apostles and, and, and when the teaching of Jesus and the apostles had been committed to writing and the canon of Scripture was completed. In the early New Testament, well, the church didn't yet have their Bibles and so God would speak to His people through His prophets. God's Spirit would share God's truth with God's people. They would forth tell His Word. And, and the purpose of prophecy is, according to 1 Corinthians 14, it is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. So now we have the Scriptures revealed to us, the Holy Spirit to, given to us. God reveals His will and speaks to His people now as His Word is preached, as His Word is read. And the Spirit helps us to understand it. So there's therefore no prophets in the Old Testament or first century sense of the word. But nevertheless, nevertheless, some people have a special ability to communicate the word of God, to foretell the word of God, to do it clearly with spirit-inspired insight that's in line with Scripture. And of course, you see, as Christians, we are all called, we are all called to bring forth words from Scripture that will strengthen, encourage, and comfort one another. And then the third group that Paul mentions here is evangelists. The word evangel comes from the Greek word evangelion. And that means good news. Good news. And so the evangelists are the bearers of the evangel, the proclaimers of the good news. And you know, some Christians have been anointed by Christ with a gift of evangelistic preaching. Preaching that powerfully presents the gospel, the good news, and draws people to respond to it. Others have been appointed by God for works of personal evangelism. They're able to come alongside other people one-to-one to help to perhaps to encourage those who are a little reticent to take that first step of faith. Others have been gifted for a particular evangelistic ministry, perhaps literature evangelism or TV or radio. But the thing that we must notice about what the Bible says about evangelists is that we are all evangelists, every Christian We are all called to bear witness to Christ, to explain the gospel as best we can, and to help others to respond as we have appropriate opportunities to do so. We are all to be involved in evangelism, as Ken preached here a couple of weeks ago. He preached on the subject, must every Christian evangelize? Ken summed it up by asking, well, must fish swim or must every bird fly? And of course, just as fish swim and birds fly, so Christians are too evangelize. And we will want to do it because, you know, we we have good news to proclaim in a world that really desperately needs to hear some good news. We do. Evangel, good news. And we will want to do it boldly but sensitively as we seek to speak the truth in love and as we invite people to perhaps to the various activities or organizations here in church where they can hear and learn about Jesus and meet his people. And the fourth and last group that Paul mentions here are the pastors and teachers. And the fact that Paul did not repeat the word some, that he did not write some to be pastors and some to be teachers, well, that leads many commentators uh, to conclude that this is one and the same role. So the biblical picture is one of the pastor. The pastor is shepherd, and the church congregation is likened to a flock. And the pastor is to shepherd the flock, and shepherding the flock includes feeding them from the Word of God, teaching from the Bible. It's explaining it so that the flock is nourished and strengthened and grows. Under pastors and teachers, we we might also include elders, salt and light teachers, small group leaders, anyone who helps to shepherd the flock pastorally or teach the Bible to others. See, Paul mentions in this passage here, he mentions that, that people who have had the gifts to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, preachers and teachers... But in order to get that bigger and fuller picture on the gifts, we must look at this list alongside the other gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament. And there's quite a variety, and we will all have one or more of these gifts. So the gifts of the Spirit, and when we look at the lists together, we can see that uh, from Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4, we can see that there are over 20 different gifts mentioned in the New Testament, which God gives to his people in these days. In addition to the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, God also gives his people gifts of encouragement, giving, leading, acts of mercy, serving, teaching, administration, discerning the spirits, faith, healing, helping, knowledge, miracles, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, wisdom, and hospitality. It's quite a list. The gifts are many and varied. And each one of us will be given one or more of these gifts. <clears throat> and so there are many people here at Orangefield faithfully exercising their gifts. Faithfully filling the roles that God has called them to. And, and graciously doing that. There are many, many people here doing that. And that's wonderful. But, but you know, sometimes around churches it can seem like a, a very small minority of people are, are doing most of the work. It can be a wee bit like a football game. Somebody once described a football game as as being 22 people who need a bit of rest, being watched by 22,000 people who need a bit of exercise. It's a football game. And sometimes, maybe around some churches, it can feel a little bit like that. But maybe you've been a bit of a spectator. Uh, Or maybe you're a new Christian. Or, Or maybe you've had a change of circumstances that has Freed you up a little bit more. But this morning, you know, and as I say, in light of the fact that so many people are wonderfully serving in this place. We saw that at our leaders, at our volunteers' dedication. Uh, But this morning, God is calling all of us. He's calling all of us to pull on our boots, to come onto the team, and to play our part. So how do you know what gifts you've been given or what your role is in the church, maybe? Well, I would say that you can start by looking at where, <clears throat> excuse me, start by looking at where there's a need. You see, give that a try and see if that's where God wants you to be and see whether that's maybe where he's gifting you for or called you to. And, well, you know, if, if that's not the place, then that's okay. Try something else. Just try different things and see If this is the the place God wants you to serve or uh, the the gift that he's given you. Or perhaps there's something when you do it that you just feel like you're in the zone. This is just your thing. Well, that's probably what God wants you to be doing. That's probably the gift that he's given you. Or you could ask a friend. Now, this is a slightly riskier one. But if you ask a friend what my gifts are, what do you think my abilities are, where do you think I should be serving God? but friends, if someone asks you, please do try to be both honest and gracious at the same time. But ask someone, what do you think my gifts are? Where do you think I should maybe be serving God? Listen to people who know you. Or you could come on a, a one of our little shape courses. Uh, we have a shape course here at Orangefield. Joan and, and Ross run that, those uh, from time to time. It's a little three-week course of aimed at helping you to discern your gifts and, and your calling and Well, if you'd like to participate in one of these, please speak with me, and we'll arrange one of those here again soon. And I have the shape book here, uh, and this has got a very helpful chapter in there on the gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to leave it on the vestibule table, and please have a look. When you finish, just return it to the church library, if you would, please. But that's a very helpful passage, a chapter in there on the gifts of the Spirit. And you know, around this church, there are plenty of opportunities, within the church, in the community, and we've talked about on your front line, wherever that is, there are many opportunities to use your gifts and abilities. And if it's in the church here, have a chat with some of the organization leaders or the activity leaders and let them help you to work out what might be your part in in this place. And fourthly and finally, what are the purpose of the gifts? Well, the purpose of the gifts is to prepare God's people for works of service. They're to help one another to serve God and His church better, so that the body of Christ may be built up. We are all one body, different parts, but one body, and the gifts are to be used to build up the whole body. Until we all reach unity in the faith. Paul comes back here to the word all, and he's talking about complete unity around the faith in Christ and the central doctrines of the faith taught by Jesus and the Apostles. And in the knowledge of the Son of God that we would learn as much as we can about Jesus and that we would get to know Him better and become mature so that we wouldn't be spiritual babies forever but that we would grow up in Him ultimately attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. To become just like Jesus. That's the purpose of the gifts. And you see we each have one or more but They're not for us to display about how good we think we are. They're not for us to boast about. They're not for our own individual benefit. They're for us to share together as a team. So we all benefit. As I finish, as I finish, by God's grace, all who trust in Jesus are members of his team. We each have a different role to play in the team. And we each have been given different gifts and abilities to be used for the benefit of all as we work together in the power of the Spirit. This is unity and diversity. This is the church. To God be all the glory. Amen. Amen. And let us pray together for a moment, shall we? Father, there are many different roles of service in your one church, and you have given different gifts to each of us. As we go into this new church year, please help us to be in the role that you have called us to, and to be using the gifts that you have given us, so that the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We pray this in the name of the one who first loved us and gave himself for us, your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen.